the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. It's just like any business, just like anything new, because we are new. We are, you know, definitely a different type of law firm, so we don't have a lot of examples to follow. So you just have to be willing to have some trial and error. Our favorite word is pivot because we have to try it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we pivot. And that's true on the legal services we offer. That's true with the technology and software we use. We're just really good at being flexible. So pivoting and being flexible, you just have to do that when you're trying something new that you don't have an example to follow. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, my friend. I just got back from the Clio conference. I should have done a lot more broadcasting from there. I should have interviewed some people, but I did make some new friends. We're lucky enough to have them with us here today. Can I go ahead and introduce them, please? Absolutely. Go for it. Awesome. So we have Brooke Moore and Laura O'Brien of MyVirtual.Lawyer. We met in a uh, roundtable discussion on the future of law, and I really thought that our listeners would like to hear from them because they have a pretty interesting and unique business model set up, and I thought that it'd be great to have them on the show. Also, they were fun, and our little group was the best, and so <laughs> we had to have them on the show. So thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thanks for having us. All right. I don't know who wants to go first, but Laura, Brooke, you all can take turns or whatever, but tell us a little bit about what MyVirtual.Lawyer is. MyVirtual.Lawyer is an entirely online law firm. Um, we primarily help family, estate, and business clients, and we kind of offer non-traditional services, so limited scope representation services. Some people don't know what that means. If you don't know what that means, limited scope representation is when an attorney helps with part of your matter, but not necessarily all of your legal matter. So we delegate a lot of administrative tasks to our clients and we're able to kind of customize the entire experience based on the individual's needs and also their budget. So all of our interactions are remote through software that we use and also they're able to communicate with us through a client portal, which is kind of the center of what we do. So that's kind of an overview of my virtual dot lawyer. Laura, do you have anything to add to that? I think that's a pretty good explanation. It's a way to, like Brooke said, customize. It limits the amount of time that the attorney is involved in the case, and therefore it makes it still profitable for the attorney because we're not spending, you know, 40 hours on a family law case. We're helping with pleadings and things like that. So we're still making 
making a good living off of what we do. We just are not necessarily talking on the phone with our clients all the time and hearing all the stories. So it's helpful on both ends for the client right. and for the attorney. So walk us through it. So let's say that I'm a mom, my husband just walked out on me and I don't have a lot of money. What would it look like and how would it be different than what some people think of as a traditional family law arrangement? Right. So what kind of differentiates us from a traditional practice? Like I said, it's limited scope. But when you look at our state law services, our business law services, those transactional services are kind of by their nature a la carte a lot of times. You can just get a will or you can just get a contract. So it doesn't look entirely different on the transactional side. Where we look a little bit different is on the litigation side, which is primarily our family law stuff. So if someone was coming to us and they were trying to get a divorce, they would either be able to reach us through our um, going online through our website and signing up on our calendar, or they could call. We actually have an answering service that answers our calls 24-7, 365. So we outsource a lot of things and we're not on the phone all the time. So we're able to go through there. So once they get on our calendar, we actually have an initial phone consultation with them. And then we're able to kind of explain to them what we do, because the way we practice law is different than what they're probably thinking they're you know going to get. So we explain that. We try to make sure that it's a good fit for them because there's a level of competency that, you know, is required from the client as well. And then we, you know, like any other attorney, assess their legal matter and, you know, decide where they need to go from there and explain the process. To answer your question, Jim, that mom who wants to go ahead and file for divorce because her husband left and she needs to make sure she's getting some child support, she set up an appointment on our calendar. We charge uh, $20 for a consultation. We talk to her on the phone once we decide she's a good client. Everything else is kind of seamless through our practice management software, through technology that we use. So we send her out an intake form. She fills out everything about how long they've been married, what their marriage date was, you know, how many children they have, that kind of thing. And then we help her file pro se. And even if she needs you know, like an emergency uh, custody or, or some, something on the emergency side, we also do that. We charge a little bit extra for that, but we can pretty much help anybody who's filing pro se. And because so many people think we're such a DIY society, people think they can file by themselves anyway. So we're still helping those DIY people with their pro se family law cases, that mom who, who just needs some assistance where she can do a payment plan with us for $1,500 for that divorce that she needs to get versus having to, you know, plunk down $5,000 or $3,000 for a retainer to get somebody to even talk to her. So that's that's kind of how that's going to work on the front end with us, with our family law uh, litigation side. Do you ever get any pushback from clients that are so used to the typical arrangement with a lawyer? Like, What's the pushback like with that, if you ever get any, or what's the feedback that you get from clients? So I've been doing this for about four years, and from clients, it's always positive. It's you know, I didn't think I could afford this service. Um, I thought I was going to have to do it myself or not be able to have it. So we really haven't experienced pushback from clients. You know, our biggest obstacle are other legal professionals, law clerks, judges, attorneys, understanding what we do because I think they think this is some kind of really low bono service, which it's not. Or they think that they push back because they think that we're just, you know, some other document service provider. And really, for us, there is a lot of educating everyone involved, even the clients, um, on the whole experience. But you know, we are there to be their attorney in that limited capacity. So they appreciate it. They appreciate having at least a little assistance and knowing what to do. So unlike if they went and did their own documents or went online and got some documents, they're able to actually 
have customized state specific, you know, documents with an attorney in their state who they, you know, kind of come to know virtually. And then they're, you know, they're not just left to what do I need to do? Like I have to figure out what form I need and then I need to figure out what to do with it. We tell you this is what you need and we give you the documents you need. We're there to communicate with them. And then we're also telling them this is what you do with it. I would think that as you worked into this business model, that there were some lessons that you learned, some things you might have wished you've done differently or, or faster. As this process matured, what are some of the things that you liked about it or didn't like about it? Yeah, so uh, for me, it was really proof of the concept initially, um, and it also depends state to state. Um, the rules on limited scope practice vary a lot. So when I started, the rules here in Arkansas were not as solid as what they are now. But for me, there on the front end, I always tell people, you know, get your systems lined up. I had to kind of figure out what technology I needed and, you know, maybe wasted a little bit of money on things I didn't necessarily need and then kind of consolidated things. So on the front end, if you can line up all those things, really utilize the technology, learn your technology, because sometimes I would get things and then I wouldn't fully use them. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily fully automate everything and use all the features that I could use. And that is such a time saver. And you could be so much more efficient if you just take the time to do that. You know, because once you get to helping clients, you get busy and then you're doing, you know, administrative business things and then you're over there helping clients. So sometimes you don't have the time to sit down and work on your workflows or set up how that works. So if I had spent a little bit more time on the front end, I probably would have been a little bit more efficient from the get go. And I'm kind of coming into this. Uh, Brooke started uh, my virtual dot lawyer with a different twist because it started off as just Arkansas virtual lawyer four years ago. And I joined her uh, kind of later on last year. And it's just like any business, just like anything new, because we are we are new. We are, you know, definitely a different type of law firm. So we don't have a lot of examples to follow. So you just have to be willing to have some trial and error. And our favorite word is pivot. So we like to reference the friends, you know, Ross pivot in our brains as we're saying it. But our favorite word is pivot because we have to try it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we pivot. And that's true on the legal services we offer. That's true with the technology and software we use. We're just really good at being flexible. And it, I think it helps to be flexible with the type of business we have as well, because we're not locked into, you know, a case that, that is ongoing for two years. You know, what we do is, is usually fairly time. I'm not using the right word, but it, you know, it, it moves quicker in time. So, uh, so pivoting and being flexible you just have to do that uh, when you're trying something new that you don't have an example to follow. So William Media has a question. He says, what are the biggest automation time savers that you've implemented and would these surprise the average lawyer? I would say, honestly, uh, using the practice management software, uh, there are a lot of different options out there for technology. And the biggest time saver that we have, uh, that we've used is kind of, syncing our intake tools with our documents so that when you're doing something that's a little bit more uh, repetitive on filling out, you know, names and addresses and birthdays, that kind of thing, because we're still doing legal work. We, we don't call things forms. We're drafting pleadings. We're drafting documents because it's a lawyer who's actually drafting these for people. But we don't have secretaries and we don't have paralegals that we necessarily use for for things that you know could be a less of a billable hour. So our biggest time saver is utilizing the option that most practice management softwares have, or you can do like Zapier in order to get things to kind of work together, is 
creating these fairly intensive intake forms that our clients fill out and then automating that to where it, it actually creates, like it, for example, in a will, it will help fill out some of that basic information about names, addresses, phone numbers for beneficiaries, that type of thing, because there's so much stuff that you can, you know, mistype and it, you know, you have to type the same thing 14 times when you're talking about an estate package. That's just a huge time saver that I think probably a lot of people maybe are aware of, but don't understand how useful it is on the back end. Well, and it reduces human error. I think that's one thing that, you know, people are a little bit skeptical about. But if you think if you're having to go in and modify a pleading that you already have and you're changing out names, you know, unless you have some kind of automation or system to be able to go and do that, you know, you may leave, you know, Joe's name in where you need to change to John. And a lot of us, you know, I mean, I've been in a traditional setting and in, in practice like that before, and it just happens. So automating kind of reduces human error a little bit. And I don't know, one of the questions that, or part of that question, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, was something that might surprise attorneys. And I don't know if that was necessarily, was that directed just at automation, or is it like a general technology question? I, I think what William wants to know is, if, is there anything that you're doing that would surprise the average lawyer? I think is what he's getting at. We're empowering the clients. Both of us have practiced in traditional law firms. We've both started our own traditional law firms and done full representation. And I would say that we as lawyers, we live in a world of, you know, walk uphill both ways in the snow. That's how we you know, that's how we go to school. That's how we take our tests, you know, when we're younger, that kind of thing. Probably the thing that would maybe surprise is how empowered and involved a client can feel and they won't bother you as much. <laughs> right. That's what I was going to add. That's one reason I was asking, because one thing that surprises people is when they say, OK, you're using this technology. You have this client portal. They have direct access to message you. You have these flat fees you charge them. How do they not drive you crazy? How do they not, you know, are they not blowing up your inbox? And really they're not because, you know, one of the things all of us attorneys, you know, get in trouble for a lot of times for clients is, you know, a lack of communication. But in the portal, we're able to use technology for them to feel like they have access to us. So even if we don't directly respond, they're able to communicate with us and that communication is there. So we actually don't answer any incoming calls and we outsource that. And we also only speak to clients for the initial consult when they're scheduled on our calendar. And so everything after that, all of the correspondence goes through the portal, which you know helps to be secure because it's secure, it's encrypted. All of our communications are in one place, so we're not, you know, searching things, tracking things down. So I think it's surprising a lot of times for attorneys that we're not just being, I guess, abused by having flat rates or abused by being so accessible virtually. And especially in a family law world, for anybody who has experience with that, both Brooke and I practiced in traditional family law representation and I will tell you, our lives are so much happier <laughs> with doing the limited scope. We're getting a lot of good questions on the Facebook group. But before we get to it, I had a question. Can you talk to us a little bit about your tech stack? What are the pieces of technology that you guys are using to do all this? So we do have quite a bit and it's all integrated as much as possible. And, you know, you can use things uh, kind of on the back end. We have uh, our website is kind of our main point of contact, which has our calendar system uh, kind of built into that. So we use Acuity scheduling for our calendar. We, uh, with, it, with Acuity, we sync payment for the consultation fee with Stripe. 
So that gets directly deposited. When it comes to the actual consultations, to be honest, we just use either Google or we use a free video technology if somebody wants a video call because occasionally that needs to happen. Some people like to see your face, even though our faces are on our website. We, you know, use practice management software. Uh, currently, we're using Practice Panther. You know, we've tried a couple of different options. Uh, practice Panther is working better for our, our services right now. Within Practice Panther, we can integrate a lot of things. So Practice Panther itself has the intake forms, the automation, and things like that built in. It works with DocuSign in order to get our contracts signed. I mean, there's, there's a list of things, but they all are fairly seamless. Law pay for our flat fee. You can set up uh, payment plans and things inside Practice Panther. It's a it's a little bit of a list, but they all. I'm kind of in charge of a lot of that. But Brooke is the one who has spent spent three years before I came on, you know, testing out other things that didn't work. So I, I got I got in on the easy part where I'm just making sure that it works now. Well, and internally too, we use Armor Text, which is kind of something newer that we use for our team. And it's really cool because it's secure and encrypted and it's for the individual and the device. So if we have an attorney, um, because we're multi-jurisdictional, if we have our attorney out in California, loses her phone, then we can just wipe that clean. So that's kind of something cool. It doesn't really play with other things. So we only use it internally right now, but it's because it is so secure. Didn't you all just meet at ClioCon? So <laughs> we did. Why were you at ClioCon? Yeah, we love Clio too. Um, I was a Clio user for two years. Uh, it's just some of the functionality for the way we're practicing. And, and to be honest, um, legal tech in general, some of our technology that we use is not legal specific. And it's, it's just because the way we're trying to do things is not necessarily the way it's built right now for the legal tech space. But whenever I present, a lot of times when I'm talking about technology, people ask what we're at, um, what we use and you know, I'll tell them specifically maybe what we're using at the time, but like Laura kind of alluded to now, she says that's what we're using now. And the reason is because we reevaluate. So as, you know, it's, it's moving quickly. And as these companies, you know, add features and modify things, what's a good fit for us right now might not necessarily be a good fit for us down the line. So we are constantly, we don't sit stagnant on our technology. We're constantly reevaluating for the best experience for the clients and for us. So all the love to Clio because we do, and they put on a Great show of great speakers, so we love them both. You can't go wrong with either one. So, All right, so I want to ask a question that Christopher Weaver has. It's a really good question. He says, with a lot of online marketing and rankings geared towards having a physical address, for example, Google Business and Facebook, how do you all market the virtual practice? Right, so that's one thing we look at. Again, that's what we looked at here because we don't have a physical office space, but also we have licensees and we have contract attorneys in, in other states. And so we have to look at the bona fide office requirement. What we do here, because um, like he said, you know, Google is just gonna ignore you if you don't have some kind of physical address. So you can always use like an office share space address, but we use a UPS box because you get an actual physical address. Uh, so that's how we kind of address that. A lot of our marketing is not specific to a location. Um, it's on social media. We're heavy social media marketing. But yeah, for, for SEO purposes, uh, we have our UPS box. And that brings up the thing that really interested me the most in your practice, and that was the arrangement you have with other lawyers. And I have to tell you that we didn't talk that long at the conference, but I still don't really even understand how my virtual.lawyer expands beyond Arkansas. So. If you could just explain it to me in a simple way, I think our listeners would be surprised by what you both have been able to pull off. Yes. Yeah, so basically, the way we have it set up, we have our 
law firm here in Arkansas, which is what we've been describing to you. Um, and we've spent these four years building it up and kind of um, testing the model, figuring out what works. So essentially, we have all these workflows and software. We have all these things in place. And so I was getting tons of calls, and I still do, from people who are, you know, how do I, ver how do I become a virtual lawyer? What is limited scope? Um, so, I, you know, several times a week getting on the phone with people. And so for me, it was, let me see how, you know, we can take this other places because there, you know, this is something that's needed everywhere. So initially we tried out um, just having some contract attorneys uh, and mostly it was to kind of meet needs different places. But, you know, we tried that out. It didn't really work like we wanted it to work. So we actually have a separate business that is an LLC and it's strictly for licensing. We do not provide any legal services through through that business. It is our um national brand, which I spent a lot of time speaking nationally um, and growing it that way, but our national brand name plus all of our systems, software support, and processes. So it's not the legal service itself that we're licensing. So we have two licensees in Oklahoma, and basically they license that. It's almost like a program. I don't even know what to call it, but it's the brand system and processes. So they're able to license it use it in their practices, use it independently, however they're using it. And basically they just kind of follow what we're doing and are able to utilize the software and things that we use in our practice and our processes and systems internally. Yep. So just a quick sum up of that is that we do, we have a, a, a totally independent company that is not a law firm, just provides the brands and the processes also, you know, access to us and our marketing can also be part of that as well. So our, They're able to market on our platform. Yeah. yeah. So our, our marketing tools are part of that as well because it's uh, it's a part of the platform, which is the systems and processes we use. And so people can license with us to use that brand. And as long as you know, limited scope and virtual law firm are not prohibited in their state, which it's not uh, it's not prohibited in most states that I know of. Uh, there are a couple that are a little bit antiquated. But as long as it's, you know, it's allowed in that state, then they can license to use MyVirtual.Lawyer, get all of our kind of background knowledge that we've been working on. And I say we very loosely because it's mostly Brooke and I've been, here, I've been here for about a year now. They can get our experience and our knowledge and everything that we've built without having to start from scratch themselves. So that's basically what it is. They can license the systems and be their own law firm uh, in their jurisdiction by using our brand. I'm cracking up. I'm reading your old bios, and they crack <laughs> me up. They're so funny. Uh, the third bullet point for yours, Brooke, I'm not going to say it so we don't have to put an expletive on here, but <laughs> it is fantastic. So I, I, I recommend you. people going and looking at their bios. It cracks me the frick up. That's really good. I also want to keep wanting to say Utes because, like, my cousin Vinny is doing Utes. Anyways, I'm curious. I don't understand really what the division of labor is between Utes. So let me know between the two of you, what's the division of labor? I feel like I need to say Ewan's because where Jim is, my dad is uh, lives in Missouri, and in the you know Ozarks, Missouri, like the Ozarks area, it's Ewan's there. So no, it is not. Stop <laughs> that. Stop, stop spreading that. <laughs> <laughs> so the division of labor, you know, we have our our strengths on the legal side for the Arkansas uh, My Virtual Lawyer Law Firm where Brooke has a, a stronger business law background than I do. So she handles the majority of our law firm business that's related to business law. 
I, uh, my primary areas of practice in floor representation have been in family and estate planning. So I handle majority of the family law and estate planning. And that's partially too, because we have our licensing business where we, you know, also devote our time. And Brooke is, you know, has built this brand over the past four years. So Brooke's division of, our, our division of labor there is Brooke is in charge of kind of the brand and the marketing and making sure how, you know, that all functions, our social media presence, working with our marketing firm, because we do have a marketing firm that handles a lot of the tedious tasks for us on, you know, uh, posts and things like that. And then I'm in charge of, you know, my title on the website uh, with my bio as chaos coordinator, which matches pretty well with what I do. So I'm in charge of just kind of making sure the day-to-day -day stuff works. I'm weird like that. I like to make sure stuff works. And I'm not that creative. So Brooke's creative. I just like to do the, the tedious stuff and make sure that the books are kept and the software's ready, that kind of thing. We're talking today with Brooke Moore and Laura O'Brien of MyVirtual.Lawyer. We're really happy to have you ladies on the show. In looking at your website, it occurs to me that your entire team is made up of women, and I think that's awesome. I'm wondering if that's on purpose. I have the pleasure of being married to a female lawyer, and I have a tremendous respect for ladies who practice the law, and I'm wondering sort of how that impacts, or was that a deliberate thing with your firm? Yes, it was deliberate. In large part, it started whenever I started this. My husband's in the military. We thought that he was going to be uh, transferred to D.C. And I was like, I'm not taking another bar exam. Um, and then I really realized because he is career Army National Guard, so we're not in a branch that really moves around as much. So I thought, well, that's kind of when I got introduced to some of the issues that military spouse attorneys face. And so I wanted to kind of target military spouse attorneys. Um, we have one other military spouse attorney in California that's on the team right now, but to give them a portable career that they could take with them and not have to worry about waving in somewhere else or, or whatever. So it kind of started out there. And then we just, our culture and our brand really just kind of drove people in. I'm a mom. I have three kids. Uh, we have several other attorneys who are moms who have kids. And a lot of it was, you know, how do we make this work for us? Also offering a really valuable service to the client. And um, so it just kind of we attracted a lot of women. I will say um, here in Arkansas, in our firm here, it's Laura and I, but we also we have our overflow work, especially since we have these other roles in this other business. So we do have two contract attorneys here in our state um, and he's not on the website yet, but I really needed somebody to help me with the business law stuff. So we do have a man that we're letting in who did, he said that exact thing to us. He said, well, I noticed on the website uh, that there are no men and I'm going to be the only man. And we're like, well, welcome, you know, don't, don't make us regret this. But, but yeah, so it, it is intentional. We're not necessarily, you know, excluding males. And, and we've talked um, to several folks out there about, you know, licensing. So it's definitely not, but the culture, it's definitely more conducive for the ladies. And, and we definitely want to empower working moms, military spouse attorneys, male and female, and just entrepreneurial attorneys in general. But we will have a male face on there as soon as we get his picture. So. He'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell me this. Where do you see this thing headed? I mean, where are you looking at creating this just huge presence across the country? Do you want this to be more of a regional thing? Where do you, where do you see it going? Yeah. I mean, we really want to go as many places we can go. Obviously, you know, again, different states have different rules on 
virtual lawyering, limited scope representation. But for us, Oklahoma just happened because I spoke in Oklahoma. A lot of good folks there. They had just introduced some new rules. So it was a ripe environment from that. But we have talked to people from, you know, the Northeast um, over to the West Coast. So we have people everywhere that we've talked to about expanding. And I mean, it really is you know, quasi access to justice issue. Uh, it's a service, you know, moderate income individuals really aren't adequately being provided services by attorneys. And you have all these non-attorney legal service providers that have the right idea and they're recognizing this gap in the market. And so for us, if there's a place that we can fill it, we want to be there. If there is a solo or small firm attorney who, you know, doesn't want to have to start from scratch, who wants, you know, to kind of pick this up and take it and promote it and work it there. We really want that um, because we want to be able to have this service anywhere that we can have this service. Yeah. And it's kind of started off regionally just because of what Brooke said, but exactly what she said, there are a few States that it's going to take some time for them to come around to the idea that this is the best thing for clients and for the mental health of lawyers. For sure. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, we all practicing attorneys understand it's a, it's a hard job. You're dealing with people's lives and, you know, lawyers have, you know, the highest rates of a lot of bad things. And so, you know, we're in a situation where we can, you know, still help people. We can help people who wouldn't normally be helped. You know, we're not necessarily, going to be able to help people who would be going to legal aid, but we're going to be helping people who can't afford to spend $17,000 on their divorce and they just need to get some stuff done. Um, not everything has to be, you know, handled by fighting it out in court. Uh, you know, you can do things, a lot of things on the back end. And so, um, so we really, we really want to see this expand out wherever it can for the citizen's sake and for attorneys' mental health sake. So. Right. Well, that was the thing that struck me when we met at the conference was, you know, I, I found you both to be extremely positive and to have a really great mindset. Talk about what that mindset is. Like, how do you guys go through your week? What are you thinking about as far as growing the firm? I think you guys have a growth mindset. Obviously, you're thinking outside the box. Talk to our listeners about that. That's my last question. I think, you know, every week is different for us right now because we are currently in such a growth pattern. I started at, we call it MVL for short. I started at MVL, my virtual dot lawyer um, last year. And I had been, this is, this is like my seventh different career being a lawyer. I graduated from law school and passed the bar exam at 24. And I, you don't know what you want to do at 24. So, you know, I tried out a bunch of different things, including working for a large legal research company for a long time, traveled, you know, lived in different states. And, you know, me coming on, I think it's given Brooke some some leeway to do the things that she wants to do with the creative side, because I can handle those things that are, you know, tedious and day to day. So every week is a little bit different, but it really is about, you know, pushing forward with our social media. We live in a world where everyone's online all the time. And, you know, what are the best ways to get out there in front of potential clients? You know, so Brooke is, Brooke is focused more on that with her day-to-day, -day, weekly, when she's not planning to go speak at different events, um, because she does speak with the ABA on a regular basis. And, you know, my deal is just making sure the banking works. I, you know, I've, I've been on the phone today with our scheduling people, our bank, trying to figure out how payments work out best. And so it's, you know, it's, Brooke is growth minded. And I'll let her talk about that for just a second. But 
as I drone on about the fact that I'm the one who is unfortunately <laughs> calls with the banks going, why can't we just do this? And and that's, you know, so it, it, I get to deal with some of those frustrations that she was having before, but that's the only thing I deal with because I just listen to her great ideas and say, yes, that sounds great. So <laughs> I'll let her talk more about what her growth ideas, like how her week looks with that, with planning out. Yeah, so bringing on Laura was probably the best decision I have ever made, mostly because it is, there are a lot of tedious things. So even if you're wanting to innovate, even like I said before, you run out of time to be able to automate, do things like that. So, you know, when I approach my week, you know, I'm looking at here's all the things that we have to do. Here are all the ideas you know, what's going to work, what makes sense, how to implement that, and also, you know, how to push it a little bit further. Because for me, unless somebody, unless it says I can't do it, or unless somebody tells me no, then I'm going to do it, and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. So for me, it's really finding, because I really think pushing the profession forward is going to have to come, you know, from us. It's going to have to come internally and not necessarily wait for it to trickle down for them to tell us what to do, which I know is a really scary thing. But for me, that's just the mindset I'm in. When I'm talking to people, I'm out meeting people, other professionals, not necessarily attorneys, talking to clients, I'm gathering that feedback because I want to figure out what, you know, you want to get in the client's head. You want to figure out what is it that you need? What are we not doing? Um, how can we do it better? Whether it's, you know, what can we be utilizing with our technology? How can this process be better? So every week, I pretty much start my week, like, obviously, here are my to-do lists, um, but also... You know, who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do? What ideas do I have? What can I implement and how do I get there? And then I also have to kind of work through in my head and plan for what pushback am I going to get and how am I going to get around that? So I spend a lot of time, like she said, unfortunately, I'm able to, you know, only take business law cases finally, which is great. I don't want to do any of the other stuff right now. So I'm able to focus on the stuff I enjoy doing, but I'm also able to focus on growing the business, branding the business, um, helping other attorneys. Like I said, I talk to at least once a week, I'm talking to another attorney about, you know, how to implement technology in their practice, how to, you know, be a virtual lawyer, how to provide limited scope services, set fees, um, things like that. So I'm really passionate about helping other innovative entrepreneurs, whether it's a collaborative effort with us or, you know, independently, because I think it's going to take everybody kind of pushing it forward and pushing the envelope um, to really effectuate any kind of change in the profession. And I think that's something that because I feel like, you know, we found each other um, last year meeting <laughs> a mutual colleague and it really does. It's, it's hard for one person to do alone and it's great to find kind of your yin to your yang or however that phrase goes, because <laughs> he likes doing this and I like doing that. And it's not that she's not good at that. It's just that I'm not good at this and I like doing that. <laughs> so my task list during the week is, I can check it off more like it's okay I've done that I've called that bank I've done this um, with hers it's just this constant kind of growth of ideas and you know if I could encourage anybody not only obviously to talk to us about licensing our brand but also you know you've got to you got to have somebody that you can throw ideas off of because it's hard I mean she's done this herself for three years and I, I mean, luckily, we're very vocal with how much we like each other and appreciate each other because she's, you know, uh, she's telling me how great it is to be able to bounce stuff off me instead of just random people in the grocery store, you know, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a co-host I could bounce things off of that I liked. I just, I just can't seem to find a co-host. Um, no, we do want to wrap things up. We, this has been really, really good. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group. If you're watching here, you're obviously already here, but if you're listening, 
join there. There's a lot of great discussion going on. Also, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and please give us a five-star review. I want to definitely get those numbers up, so if we can, to help spread the love, so please do so. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So I have a don't hack and a do hack. My don't hack is don't send smart Alec postcards to your podcast co-hosts that say smart-ass things like, hey, Jim, I hope you're enjoying CleoCon in NOLA. Yawn. I'm enjoying the great city of Chicago with Fleetwood Mac while you're doing boring stuff. Oh, well, see you soon, Tyson. <laughs> so don't send smart Alec postcards unless you want to get beat up the next time you see each other. My do is a pretty cool app. I don't think we've talked about it on the show before. It's called Airtable, and we're working on a big project trying to get an H-1B approved, and our clients are a little bit more technologically savvy than my colleague Andrew Bloomberg and I. And they turned us on to Airtable, which is a database that also lets you collaborate and store documents inside the collaboration. It's it's very, very powerful, and we've just started playing around with it. But as far as getting our H-1B appeal out the door, it's been really helpful to sort of organize everything because we have four different people working on it at the same time. And it's sort of like Google Sheets on steroids. So it's interesting you say that, Jimmy. I looked at Airtable about 18 months ago, and I thought it was way too complicated. And maybe it's just I didn't understand how to use it. So I'm interested to see how you use it when you're done because that, 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 that sounds pretty good. All right, so it looks like we get two hacks and uh, tips from Laura and Brooke this week since there's two of you. So whoever wants to go first, a tip and or a hack. Okay, I guess I'll go first. So for a tip, I would just say try to be as efficient as possible because that's going to free up time. And in that time, I think that you should hack the legal profession by not only utilizing technology, because everybody in my opinion should be doing that, but, you know, push forward. Don't wait to be told what you can and can't do. If there are no clear lines, move forward and see how you can move things forward. So, And I would say my tip is along the same lines as Brooke is don't be stuck. I was very scared when I was a young lawyer that you had to do everything the way that you were told that it had to be done. Maybe that's true for court filings for, you know, the immediate future, but, um, you know, try to push the boundaries, but also have a, have a good work-life balance. I know that's a stupid phrase that we all say and very few of us do, but you can't let your work consume you. I have done that in my past and I have made myself sick literally from it. So got to have some work-life balance. Go, you know, Take a walk when you're in a bad mood or you just got off the phone with a client. Uh, that's uh, that's to me is is one of the more important things. I want to be happy. So make sure you're happy with your life. Excellent. All right. So my tip of the week it actually comes from our coach, Jason Selk. Every Tuesday, he sends this uh, mental toughness Tuesday email. It's really good. But this week was really good because he talks about what he calls time maximization units and how very successful people don't let certain amount of time go by without doing something productive. And so he actually lists a chart, you know, so basically if you're going to make between 50 and 100,000 a year, you know, you'll, you'll let 30 minutes go by in a day without really doing anything productive. But the most successful people, three minutes, they, they, they cherish that three minutes. They won't let more than three minutes go by without doing something very productive. And so I think it's really cool. And, I, and I've actually written it down. I'm looking at it right above my computer. I've written it on my whiteboard. To remind myself not to let three minutes go by. So if I, if I find myself wasting time, I, I get myself back on track. So it's really good. So come up with that amount of time for you, whatever that might be. So that's my tip. And then uh, and get to work. So 
Brooke, Laura, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.